This message was recorded at the Redeemed Christian Church of God Salvation Center, where we're maximizing potential and fulfilling destiny. We pray you'll be blessed as you listen to the following message. For your faithfulness, for your loving kindness, we are grateful. Lord, in spite of us, you remain faithful. Even when we were without faith, you remain faithful. We thank you. We thank you. Lord, today as we look into your word of life, Jehovah, we ask that you speak to us. Teach us by yourself and glorify your name. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Praise the Lord. So we started a few weeks ago, uh, a couple of weeks ago actually, uh, a new series that we called Bridge Builders. Bridge Builders. Uh, in the first part of this series, we talked about forgiveness. And I'm so happy because I, I've gotten a lot of feedback on the forgiveness part that a number of people were struggling with that, you know, and uh, my wife was giving me a feedback on her meeting with the college students uh, on Friday. They had uh, uh, a lock-in. They call it not lock-in. They had a social. Okay. They had something. You know, and they were talking about it. And some of them came together and said, look, we need to have like uh, a lunch or dinner to settle some differences. Friends, forgiveness, unforgiveness is a terrible disease. It's a cancer. Is a cancer, and it's going to eat people up. Not you, uh, but those that refuse to let go of it. It will eat them up. So please learn to forgive. Jesus forgave us. He did not count all those sins against us. He forgave us. In fact, before we asked for forgiveness, he made forgiveness available unto us. So let's do the same for our brothers and sisters. And last Sunday, I talked about... Uh, uh, reach out and touch. Reach out and touch. I gave the example of the story of George Washington during the uh, American Revolution. And then we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, and uh, somebody came and met me at the end of service last Sunday. He said, Pastor, why have you been talking about me the past couple of Sundays? You know, it's like every Sunday you just come and run the story of my life. I said, well, that's what church is supposed to be where we come, and we can hear from God. So when something touches you like that, it's because God is speaking to you directly. And you know, in this series, I myself have also learned. One of the things that I learned is that when it comes to forgiveness, the prerogative is that of the one that is doing the forgiveness. Not so much the offender. Amen. The offender may not care about what they have done, but what makes forgiveness very strong and powerful is that you that has been offended, you can let go. That is the power of forgiveness. Whether or not they ask for forgiveness, and we saw that before we even asked, Jesus came and died for us. So let's, let's do the same for one another. Today, what I'd like to talk about is our time to celebrate has come. It's celebration time. Amen. It's celebration time. I know for sure next year we'll be celebrating a lot because I know Mommy Ray Wale is doing 70th birthday. 
and then you, you add mommy's uh, 70 to it, so a number of 70s. You know, so if they are celebrating 70, what, what it tells me is that if Jesus does not come back too soon, I will be 70. And I will still be strong. Still. My wife is shaking my head, SMH. <laughs> She's SMHing for me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, so uh, it's time to celebrate. I, I, God will give us a reason to celebrate. Amen. But you are going to create a reason for celebration yourself. Yes. Is what I want to encourage you by today. You know, one of the things I've noticed about us, including myself, you know, when we think about great people, especially people, uh, Bible people, Bible characters, when we think about them, we think of them as perfect people. Amen. We think of them as people that can never do wrong. You know, and there are some people that we read about today in our contemporary history that we also have the same mindset about. So what I found out is all of those people, God helped them. They all had issues and situations that God helped them with. So I put a list here, and it's in the sermon uh, in our, our app, if you are following uh, in the app. So you think about Moses. Uh, Moses didn't make it to the promised land because he didn't do exactly what God told him to do. Abraham, you know the story of Abraham. Uh, well, God promised, he waited, but uh, he had shortcuts. And that's why we have the war that we have going on today. You know, so you go figure with that. You know, and then you have Samuel. Samuel his, his sons, the Bible, in fact, the, the words the Bible used to describe his sons is not complimentary. Let me just put it like that. Amen. But the Bible says not a word of prophecy that Samuel gave fell to the ground. Amen. So the point I'm making is none of them was perfect. Uh, Elijah. You know, Elijah began to brag before God that I'm the only one that is left. Say, everybody has forsaken you except for me. God said, no, <laughs> I have reserve. You know, plenty, thousands of reserve. Amen. And then in a contemporary time, you think of John Wesley's of this world, the Charles Finney, think of uh, Ayobaba Lola. Somebody was actually, uh, the great prophet Ayobaba Lola is, uh, uh, is one of notes, you know. Is uh, a founder of the CAC in Nigeria, uh, the Christ Apostolic Church. And then you think of uh, uh, Pa Josiah Akindayomi, the founder of Redeem. Every one of them had something that was not exactly perfect, but God helped them. If God helped them, God will help you. Amen. Okay, God will help me. Amen. In the name of Jesus. You know, but there's one person that I want to share his story today, Charles Spurgeon. I, I, read, I read a story about him that really caught my attention. And it, 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 this is how it goes. So Charles Spurgeon and uh, another minister in London, uh, Joseph Parker, uh, they both had churches in London in the 19th century. And on one occasion, Parker commented on the poor condition of children admitted to Spurgeon's orphanage. 
So Charles Spurgeon had an orphanage, right? And uh, Parker was making the comments about the poor conditions there. And then people went and reported to Charles Spurgeon that, hey, did you hear what Parker said about you? And as you know, every time the rumor mill is active, it is always embellished. Always, without exception. Amen? They will always add to it. Anyway, let's continue reading. So, they told him, but the way it was reported to him was that Parker had criticized the orphanage itself. But think about it. He was talking about the poor conditions of children admitted. Not the orphanage itself. But when they took it to Spurgeon, they told him, he said, your orphanage is terrible. So Spurgeon, in anger, the following Sunday, got on his pulpit and lambasted Joseph Parker. Said all manner of things about him. The Sunday after that, those that attended Spurgeon's sermon and heard what he said, they went to Parker's church. He said, we want to hear the rebuttal. Busy bodies, itchy ears. He said, hey, let's go hear what Parker, how he will respond to Spurgeon. But you know what Parker did? Parker, that Sunday, understanding that that Sunday usually is when Spurgeon would take an offering for the orphanage in his church. And Spurgeon was not in church that particular Sunday. You know what he did? He took an offering for Spurgeon's orphanage in his church. In fact, according to the account, they went back and emptied the offering bowl at least three times to receive collections for Charles Spurgeon's orphanage. When Spurgeon heard about it, he went to Parker and apologized. He said, you gave me what I did not deserve. You did what? You gave me grace. Unmerited favor. I lambasted you, but on the other hand, you celebrated me. I spoke ill of you, but on the other hand, you take took care of my problem. Because Spurgeon was doing a good thing. He had an orphanage. The children were, I mean, really cacetic, you know, suffering children. He was helping out. And that was the focus of Parker. But they turned it around as the story was told to Spurgeon. Why am I telling us this story this morning? Many of you have taken offense as what was put purportedly said about you. In fact, what you are angry about was never said. But you don't know that because you never addressed it with the person. They just told you and you walked away with it. Friends, when it if somebody comes to tell you what somebody else said about you, be suspicious. Be suspicious. I don't care who they are to you. You know what I do? The moment they want to say, can we call the other person and let's have this conversation together? I told you the story of my friend. My friend said, I just want to tell you as a friend. I said, I understand. 
why don't you go talk to that person first before telling me about it? Because I didn't offend you. I'm not part of the problem. I'm not the problem. Why should I be participating in the conversation about the problem? I'm not a solution to the problem. You know, by the way, that's how I define gossip. Gossip is you are not the problem. You are not part of the problem. You are not the solution. You are not part of the solution, but you are talking about the problem. Oh, X and Y did this, you know? And everybody laughed. <laughs> but you know what the scripture says? The Bible says we'll be judged for every jesting, that there's judgment for it. That's scripture right there. So today, what, what, what I want you to, uh, we're going to be looking at the story of the prodigal son uh, in Luke. Uh, chapter 15 from verse 11. Uh, but as we look at it, we use him as our case study. We're going to take lessons from there, examples to follow, and some things just to learn. And I wanted to share something with you. You can pull up that uh, uh, PowerPoint slide. You know, I wanted to share something with you today, very important. Because for a number of people, scripture is like abstract. You just read to say, I checked the box. I've read one chapter today. When you read the Bible, I want you to think about, you are missing one thing, no? you are missing A, space. You tried. Thank you very much. Let's clap for them. Because I dumped it on them this morning. A, but that's okay. So, think about space. Somebody say space. space. I want you to think about space whenever you're reading the Bible. So, space is, the S there is is there a sin for me to confess based on what I have just read? Is it challenging me about a habit, a behavior that I need to repent from? The A is action or attitude. You can put anything you like there. You know, is there an attitude I should adapt, adopt based on what I have read? Is there any adjustment I need to make based on what I have read? or based on what I am reading, all right? Or is there an action I must take, like forgive, amen? And then the C is for command, command. Is there a commandment for me to obey based on what I am reading? And E, is there an example for me to follow? When you read the Bible with this backdrop, it will cease to be abstract to you. It will begin to make sense. There's something, the, the, the scriptures are speaking to you. The Bible is saying something to you. And what is it saying? You can figure out from these five things. So today, as we look into the story of the prodigal son, I want to first of all establish that we are the ones that called him prodigal. The Bible never said anything like that. You know, we looked at his life and then we surmised and said, he's the prodigal. But the Bible did not call him prodigal. So, let's read. Uh, can you please pull it up? Uh, Luke chapter 15. Luke 15. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them the story. He said, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So, his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, 
uh, the younger son packed up his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He began to starve. Verse 15, he persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him to work in, sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to, uh, looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. I'm going to pause there. Uh, may the Lord bless the reading of his word in the name of Jesus. This is a story I'm pretty sure uh, many of us are familiar with. You've had many different sermons uh, preached about this. Uh, the first thing I want to point out as we look at the life of this young man is the verse 12. The verse 12, the boy or the guy, the man made a decision. He made a decision. He made a decision that he was not going to wait until his father dies before he takes what rightly belonged to him. Here's the catch. Every day, you and I are making decisions. In fact, that you're seated here right now is because of the decision you made to come to church. Amen? You have a decision to make when you have competing priorities. Amen? A good priority for you and for myself could be, I'm tired. I can't make church. That would be okay. But over and above my tiredness, I'm in church. As a matter of fact, you know, this is what, something I've observed uh, over the years now. You know, if the Lord calls you to do something, don't, make, don't say, I, I'm not feeling well, I can't do it. Because somehow, once you make yourself available, whatever was wrong with you, it will disappear. It can come back after you finish. <laughs> you know, because I had bad cold last night. I don't know if he's, you can hear it in my voice or something, but I feel great. I feel great. I want to continue all day long because I know once I finish the... Okay, it won't come back. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Decisions. Every day you are making decisions. I want you to, from today, begin to ask yourself, whatever decision you are making, why are you making that decision? What is the reason? In my workers' meeting this morning, uh, we, we started reading a book, Talent is Not Enough. You know, and we had, uh, let's put our hands together for choir and children's church. Excellent presentation, fantastic presentation. Amen. So, one of the things we saw is some people, the problem they have is they don't take initiative. So, we're looking at, okay, why don't people take initiative? One of the things we realize is if you don't take the first step, you can never accomplish anything. You can't finish what you did not start. You cannot succeed at something you didn't start. <laughs> Amen? So, if you don't start, it is guaranteed failure. 
Amen. So he said, you have to ask yourself, why am I not starting? What is, what's the problem? What's holding me back? Every day we make decisions. The decision not to forgive is one that you have made. It's not because it's impossible to forgive. Because when somebody offends you, you have two choices. Number one, forgive them. For whatever reason. You know, okay, they don't know what they are doing. Okay, they are too foolish to know that this will hurt. You know, they are too stupid to understand. Whatever reason you want to give yourself. You know, just give yourself and, and let it go. You see what I'm saying? Or you can choose to say, okay, what they have done is so terrible. I will never forget. That is a decision. That's a decision. You made a choice for unforgiveness. Amen? So this guy, he decided, it was a choice he made that I'm not going to wait until my father dies before I take from him what is mine. I don't know what I'll do if my child will ask me that. Knowing myself, I probably won't give it. I say, too bad for you. If you can't wait till I die, that's your problem. Now that you have spoken, I know not to include you in the will. Because I have an idea of what you're going to do with it. Just going to squander it. Anyway, the father gave him. Think about what the father would have had to do to give him what he gave him. If the father had land, he couldn't take the land with him to the foreign land. So the, the father probably had to sell the land. If it was cattle, livestock, there's no account that he went with all that cattle where he went. So the father must have had to auction all of those things just to satisfy the son. Friends, what I'm telling you today is I'm trying to help you understand the long rope that God has given you and I. And it is called latitude. Somebody say latitude. So God knows when we are doing wrong. But instead of him whipping us up, he lets us go. You know, some children will say, I want to go discover myself. I want to find out myself who I am. You know, when you think about it, it's a valid reason. Yeah, go discover yourself. But we saw how it ended up for this guy. Amen. The Bible says he went to a distant country. Do you know every one of us, we have a distant country where we go and we squander stuff. Amen. It could be a gift. It could be a grace. It could be an anointing. Let me give you an example. Say a young man that God has given the gift of oratory. You speak well. You can convince people to do stuff. But instead of being an what was that? That's the gift a teacher or an evangelist will have. But instead of preaching the gospel and evangelizing, you are using that gift to do all kinds of crap. That is taking your wealth and squandering it in a far country. Every gift that is not put to the appropriate use is a waste of talent. Is a waste of gift. 
Whatever God has given us, it can even be money. Whatever wealth God has given you and put in your pocket, God had a plan before putting and entrusting the resource to you and to myself. The Bible says he went to a distant country. We all have a distant country in our lives where we turn away from God's will. But God's love never wavers. The love of God is consistent. The love of God is always waiting for us to return. Why is this important? It is important because if you are one of those in a distant land, you can come back from it. Because many people say, oh, I'm too far gone. There's no, no, there's redemption for everybody. There's redemption for you. Okay, two people. There's redemption for me. In the name of Jesus. So he went in a foreign land. Every time that I am putting the gift of God in my life to inappropriate use, it cannot produce the result it was intended to produce. It's always going to lead to a barren place. And that's what happened to this guy. The Bible says, just as soon as he squandered everything he had, guess what happened? There was a famine. A famine broke in the land. One thing I can assure you, as long as we continue to live, as long as you are alive and I'm alive, famine will come at one time or another. Amen? There will be a dearth of something at one point or another. And if I have not prepared myself and prepared well for such a time, that person will be in serious danger and dissolution. When we bring ourselves from God or we distance ourselves from God, we find ourselves spiritually famished. Nothing is working out. Amen? Do you know that every time there's economic depression, millionaires are made? Oh. Every time there's a downturn, that downturn provides a lift for some people to get to the top. If you have not been well positioned, as it's going down, many people are going down with it. I remember very clearly, I was reading in the papers in 2008 when we had a major recession. There were people that had retired and were living good life in retirement. But their 401k evaporated. 70-year-olds had to go back to work. 75-year-olds had to go back to work. Why? Because a famine came. One thing you can be sure of, there will be famine. Forget about recession. I'm not talking recession now. A recession is also a sort of guarantee. Pastor Abiola was educating me some time ago that there is a cycle. If you look at it, stock people and all of it, they understand the cycle. You know, and we are in that other cycle right now when it's down. But it will pick back up in Jesus' name. 
what am I saying? Return to God. Return to God. Return to God. You know, what you may not know is Jews don't, they don't eat pork. You know that. They don't eat pork. It's an abomination. Amen? They don't eat pork. They don't even dare touch pork. If they touch pork, there's ceremonial cleansing they have to do before they can go to the temple. But because this guy was so far removed from God, it really didn't matter. Every time I'm operating outside of the will of God, compromise is a guarantee. I don't care what you do, you will compromise. Why? Because what gives us the resilience, the strength to say no is the spirit of God inside of us. And when you have silenced that spirit, you will sin without blinking an eyelid. In fact, you won't feel anything. If somebody even corrects you, you say, am I not a human being? You say, that is just call of nature. You begin to defend and make excuses. Amen? I told you before, <laughs> in my church, this was in the 90s, uh, 90, 92, 93. In the church I was, I was back then, there was a young lady that report came to church that, you know, she was not keeping herself. Let's just put it like that. So the elders, the pastors, called her to the office and said, it has come to our attention that you are living in fornication. Guess what her response was? Am I the only one? I said, how about this person? In fact, she's even in the choir. And this other person, and this other person. That is a heart that is so hardened. It needs a good amount of grace to come back from that. And the problem is simple. Because you have been so far removed from the will of God for your life, you don't see perspective is lost, is what I'm trying to say here. That is why this guy, not only will he be feeding pigs, abomination, the food that pigs were eating, because it was desperate, looked good to eat. That is exactly what desperation does for us. Somebody say, but God. But God. Friends, we're talking about building bridges. Building bridges. Building bridges. Joe Parker, Joseph Parker was a build bridger. Spurgeon injured him and injured, maligned him. He didn't get all the facts. He didn't say, hey, pastor, this is what came to my attention you said about me. 
He didn't challenge him. He went on his pulpit and began to lash out. One thing I can guarantee you, nobody will come here on this pulpit and be passing a message across to you from the pulpit. I tell people, if anything is preached from the pulpit and you get mad that the pastor is talking about me, I only have one thing to say to the person. Pride. Because the word of God is too important for me to leave the word and be talking about you. It would be so foolish and ridiculous of me or any other person. We don't do that here. If there's a problem, we will call you and address it with you. Amen? We don't preach about people from the pulpit. But thank God that Charles Spurgeon himself was repentant. You know, people can be, say, I said it, I said it, what are you going to do? Amen? When it comes to building bridges, someone may have done something very, very terrible. They are totally, completely outside of the will of God. But it will shock you to know that the love of the father for his son was unwavering. Because as we read, for the benefit of time, uh, you read from 20 down. The Bible says, after a while, the boy himself, he made a decision. He said, you know what? Enough is enough. I refuse to continue to compromise. And I beseech you by the mercies of God. If you are in a state of compromise now, you can always come back home to the Father. Remember the song we sang? Uh, Dr. Obi sang it again. Jesus, you love me too much, oh. Too much, oh. Too much, oh. Excess love, oh. You can always come back to the Father. The question I have for you is, can people always come back to you after they have offended you? Or you are the type that say, I can I, if I don't I don't even want to see your face. You disgust me. I despise you. And all those kind of stuff. After a while, the boy said, Look, enough of suffering. I'm gonna go back home and tell my dad. Let me just be one of your servants. Because I know in my father's house, the servants, they eat and they waste food. They have plenty to eat and even so much more to spare. It is a lie from the pit of hell that if you repent, God will not accept you. Lie from the pit of hell. Jesus already built that bridge any and every sinner that wants to come back to God can always come back. The bridge is open. The bridge is available. It's solid. It's rock solid. Always available. The boy went back home and the reaction of the father tells us a volume about the father. As the boy appeared, think about it. Think about it. What are the odds that as he's coming afar off, 
the father was looking in that direction and saw him. What are the odds? What's the probability? The only explanation I have for that is the father was always expecting him to come back. You know, if the father had run, if the father ran after him, it would have been, you know, but the father left him. But he was expectant. He was looking forward to the day his son will come back home. He was expectant. So when the boy finally came, the Bible says he saw him from a great distance and he recognized his son. I imagine if you had pot belly, the pot belly was by now flat. If you had chubby cheeks, But the father recognized his son. And the Bible says he ran. State elders, elder states men don't run. The father ran to him to receive him back to himself. Friends, the love of God cannot be quantified or described. The Father is longing for you and I to come back to Him. And as He's longing for us to come back, as we come back, we bring others to ourselves as well. Let go of the hurt. Let go of the pain. Lean in. Pull people in, into your space. Forgive and let go. The God's love is not based on our merits, but on his infinite grace. God, the father, in that story, offered grace to the son. You know, one of the things I also noticed from that is, before the son could say, this is the reason why I am coming back, the father already ran to him and embraced him. So it was not... His uh, contriteness. It wasn't because it was contrite that the father received him. The father already received him whether it was contrite or not. He ran to him and embraced him. Took off the shameful stuff he was wearing. Put a robe on him. Put a ring on it. The sign of authority. This is my son. In whom I am well pleased. He might be stinking because of where he's been, but he's my son. He's my son. He might have bruises and scars from where he has been, but guess what? He's my son. He's mine. He's mine. He belongs to me. He belongs to him. You belong to God. And God is crying. Say, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's asking you and I to come. Come. Come unto him. Friends, those that have offended you have open arms. If you don't create an avenue for them to come back and repent, they don't even know how to approach you. Amen? 
in a lot of cases, the person wants to come and apologize, but you're always walking like this. So they're afraid. They can't come. You make the first move. I'll tell you a quick story and I'll close with this. Many years ago, we were still in the old church. Oh, man, this, this brother, this, he was like Alexander the coppersmith. You know, Paul said, he did me such evil, may the Lord repay him. You know, I mean, this brother, he messed with me, for real, for real. I mean, he was bad, he was bad. I had to, I had to wait on the Lord. I fasted and prayed, I think it was about three months, because I needed clarity from God that why? Why, Lord? Why? Why? He injured me. It was bad. If I, if I tell you what he did, even though he's in the past, even today, you will jump up and say, Wait, let, let's go beat him up. He did me wrong. He did me wrong. He did me wrong. So, after praying for about three months, the Lord said to me, he used the brother to get my attention. So, he wasn't the guy really acting out. He was an instrument. So, God said, I should go apologize to him. I'm like, Lord, he's the one that wronged me. He's the one that wronged me. He said, go apologize and go with the gift. I'm serious. I bought him a gift and I went and I apologized. I said, I'm sorry. If you have ever seen anybody gloated before, the gloating was more injurious than the original offense. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. I said, Lord, I love you. <laughs> Jesus, I love you. Instead of speaking, what I, Jesus, ah, I love you. I love you, Lord. <laughs> it was insult upon injury. So, he for, let me ask you this. Well, I'm not giving any advice. So nobody will say they told us in church. <laughs> you get the paddle. You whip a child. After you discipline the child with the paddle, do you put it in the corner and decorate it and spray cologne and put decoration on the paddle? No, you just throw it to the side. The brother did not know that it was the Lord. And everything I was doing was because of the Lord. So he kept on doing what he was doing until the Lord removed him out of the way. He left the church in annoyance, in anger. I've done my part. Years later, we met at an event, a naming ceremony actually, I saw him. I called him to come and do opening prayer. You know why? 
I let it go. I let it go. Ever since that time we meet anywhere, oh, Pastor, please sit down. He's the one getting everybody's attention. Pastor, is over here. Have you, uh, this, this, and that. Can you imagine if I was getting into it with him? When we see ourselves in the future, we won't be able to talk. Amen? What I'm saying to you this morning is it's not worth it. Call that person. Because in this story, the Bible says the father sacrificed the fatted calf. Let me tell you about the fatted calf real quick and then we'll close. The fatted calf, every family in Israel, they had a fatted calf. They will have all other animals, but there's one that they are are specifically feeding. They are feeding it so that it can be huge, it can be big for a special occasion. Special occasion. So you don't just kill the fatted calf because you are happy. You have to, it has to be an exhilarating joy for you to kill the fatted calf. And that was what the father did when the prodigal son came back home. That person that has offended you, throw a party to reconcile with them. Invite them, make them your special guests of honor. Celebrate them. Put the devil to shame. Be a build bridger, a builder. Connect people. If you know two people that are beefing, instead of widening the chasm, bridge it. Bring them closer. Say, sis, I heard that you and such and such are not getting along. Let's let's have a meeting. Let's have a reconciliatory uh, thing. Let's have dinner together. Let's have lunch together. Bridge the gap. Please rise to your feet. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We encourage you to fellowship with us here at Salvation Center if you are in the San Antonio area. For more information, visit our website at www.rccgsanantonio.org.